Well, hey, as we get started this morning, I just want to tell you how very excited I am about the next couple of weeks here at Grace. We've got two great Sundays coming up. If you've got anybody in your life you've ever thought about inviting to church with you, the next couple Sundays uh, is the time to do it. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and uh, I'll be taking one of the characters from around this table uh, that spent the night with Jesus. I'll be taking one of those characters, trying to bring that character to life in a dramatic monologue. Now, if you think I'm going to tell you who that character is, you're crazy. You've got to come and find out next week who it is, okay? And in two weeks on Easter Sunday, we'll of course be looking at the resurrection, but we're going to come at it from the angle of doubt. Can a reasonable person really believe that Christ rose from the dead? That's going to kick off a, a series on doubt and faith. So if you know anyone uh, who is seeking or skeptical, you dare them to come to church one of these next two Sundays. It's going to be great. Well, it's been said that you can learn a lot about a person by looking at their checkbook. Now, as soon as I wrote those words, I realized a lot of people, they don't even know what a checkbook is anymore. But just stay with me for a minute, okay? If you were to flip through someone's checkbook or their bank statement, you could learn an awful lot about that person. What kinds of things do they spend their money on? Where do they go for a vacation or rest or recreation or to visit? How much money do they give away to other causes? Do they... How often do they balance their checkbook? Do they ever balance their checkbook? Do they know how to balance their checkbook? In a similar way, you can learn a lot about a person by listening to them pray. By listening to them pray. You might learn uh, who they pray for. Now, who are the people whose name, who are the names that keep showing up in that prayer? And what do they pray for when they pray for those folks that they care about? How often do they pray? And how long do they pray? And where do they pray? Do they seem comfortable talking to God or does it feel strained and tense? Do they get emotional when they pray or are they kind of measured and restrained? You can learn a lot about a person listening to them pray. You might even learn who they picked for the final four. Years ago, I was in a Bible study with a crowd of uh, high school and college students. There was a young woman in that group who, who prayed in a remarkably refreshing way. This great sense of reverence for God. At the same time, this just warmth and naturalness about the way that she prayed. Great sincerity and compassion for the people in the room she was praying for. I was so impressed, I asked her out and eventually married her. Okay? <laughs> so, it's something very revealing something very intimate about listening to someone pray. And today, we have the remarkable opportunity of listening to Jesus pray. We've been spending some time at this table with, the, with Jesus and the disciples in the upper room the night before he went to the cross. And as he comes towards the end of that evening, he prays. And we have an opportunity to listen in on that prayer. It's such a remarkable opportunity. It's such a revealing one. I'd like us to try to hear the prayer of Jesus again, maybe in a fresh way. So let's just sit with it for a minute. Just sit and listen to how Jesus might have prayed this prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have 
brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and I kept them safe. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So what do we learn listening to Jesus pray? And more to the point, what would our lives and our church and our world look like if Jesus' prayer were to be answered? Let's look at some of the simple questions first. Um, when does Jesus pray this prayer? It certainly seems as though he prays it at the end of this evening he spent with his followers in the upper room at the table before going to the cross. 
Now, some want to suggest that perhaps this prayer happened at some later point in time and that John tacked it on to the end of the discourse here to kind of round things out. Uh, that's possible, but it seems to me the, the prayer flows naturally right out of the conversation they've been having all evening. It also turns out that it was customary for people in that day, if they were giving a farewell address, to pray a prayer of blessing at the end. There's also some debate about where Jesus prayed this prayer. Did he pray it in the upper room at the table with his disciples listening? Or did he pray it privately uh, as he made his way toward the Garden of Gethsemane or in the garden? Again, it's my sense is that he prayed it at the table in the room with the disciples listening. But either way, the important thing is not to get this prayer confused with that prayer he prays later in the garden when he wrestles with, with God's will, the Father's will for his life. If there's any way, Lord, take this cup from me. I mean, that later prayer was a very private prayer, a struggling prayer of knowing and doing God's will. And it's, it's helpful to know that even Jesus struggled that way. But this prayer came before that. It's a pastoral prayer, a shepherd praying for his flock. We're not sure exactly how Jesus prayed this prayer. Chances are he prayed it standing up. That was the custom of the day. He probably prayed it out loud because that too was the custom of the day. Did he raise his voice when he prayed? Did he pace the floor? Did he lay hands on his followers? Did he weep when he prayed? We really don't know about those things. But who he prayed for, that we know very clearly. Turns out there are three distinct movements in this prayer. And in each movement, Jesus prays for a different party. The first person he prays for is himself. Verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Jesus knew that the end was upon him. He wanted to finish well, to do the Father's will, to, to obtain salvation, eternal life for the world, to, to bring glory to his Father. He knew he needed his Father's help, so he prayed for himself. And secondly, he prayed for his disciples, for the 11 that were left around that table. Verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Jesus knew they were facing a daunting task and a severe trial. He was leaving them behind in a hostile world with a daunting mission on their shoulders. And so he prays, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. So he prays for himself, he prays for the eleven, and then remarkably he prays for us. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. See, Jesus knew this was just the beginning. These were the first of hundreds, of thousands, of millions, of billions of people down through the ages who would hear this message and believe it and follow him. As we've been reminding ourselves all through this series, Jesus knew as he spoke with his disciples that night in the upper room, he knew that we were lurking in the shadows, that many centuries later we'd be listening in on this conversation. So even as he speaks to them, he's speaking to us as well. But here, here remarkably, he actually prays for us, almost by name, and we get to hear that prayer. Have you ever been in that awkward situation where you accidentally hear someone talking about you and they don't know you're there? Maybe you're in another room of the house, the conversation's going on, and suddenly you're the topic of conversation. And suddenly you don't know if you want to listen anymore (laughs) because you're not sure what they're going to say about what they think or feel about you. 
Well, imagine hearing someone pray for you, pray about you. You'd learn right away what they thought about you, how they felt about you. When I was a kid, I could hear my father praying in his bedroom with the door closed. I can remember laying on the floor, looking under, and I could, see his, I could see his knees on the floor, and I could hear his voice, and I would listen for his name, for my name, and for what he was praying for. Well, it's, it's pretty amazing to hear your father pray for you, but imagine hearing Jesus pray for you. That's the opportunity we have here in this final movement of the prayer. So let's, let's lean into it for a few moments. It turns out that Jesus, in a very kind gesture to the many preachers who would follow him years to come, he actually prays for three things, okay? The first thing he prays for is that we would be one, that we would be one. Verse 20, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that we would be one. That's the first thing he prays for. Now think of all the other things he could have prayed for those followers of his. He could have prayed that that, that they would be holy. He could have prayed that they would have a hunger and a knowledge of his word. He could have prayed that they would be faithful in carrying out his, his work in the world. And he would pray for all those things. But the very first thing he prays for, the first thing he asks for, is that they would be one. Now is that the first thing we ask for? When you listen to yourself pray for people you love, for your church or your small group, when, when you listen to yourself pray even at home for the people that you love, what do you tend to ask for first? Is this the first thing I pray for when I pray for this congregation? Or am I more likely to pray for good attendance on a Sunday? Or for, for lots of new volunteers or for a generous offering? Notice the kind of oneness he's praying for. It's the same kind of oneness, he says, that he and the Heavenly Father enjoy. As I am in you and you are in me, he says. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the Trinity and we looked at that ancient Russian icon, Rublev's Trinity. And it pictures the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit seated around a table in a circle of love. It's a picture of community of different personalities, diverse personalities, enjoying equality and intimacy. It's a picture of three persons who who delight in each other, who defer to each other, who care for each other, who love one another. And it's that kind of, of community Jesus wants for us, for us to experience as his people, that kind of love for each other. So this is not just putting a check mark by some doctrinal statement. It's not having your name on a membership roll. It's not a friendly handshake as the service begins. I mean, he's talking about love, about delighting in each other, deferring to each other, serving each other, honoring each other, caring for each other. That's what he wants for us. He wants it so badly, he actually prays it again a little later on, that they may be one as we are one, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Complete unity. Now, I don't want to rain on Jesus' parade or on his prayer, but this is a pretty tall order. This is what they call a big, hairy, audacious ask. That we, we would be one. People like us. Think of it just in terms of Grace Chapel. I was talking to someone about our church this past week, and one of the first things I said about our congregation is is, is, is how, how diverse the congregation is. 
ethnically, geographically, theologically, economically, every which way. I mean, we are a very diverse collection of people. We don't all come from the same backgrounds. We don't, we don't live in the same neighborhoods. We don't, we don't dress the same way. We don't vote the same way. We don't like the same kind of music. We don't even worship on the same campus as a church. How in the world are, are we supposed to be one? It's a tall order. And keep in mind, Jesus isn't praying it just for this one church. He's praying it for the whole body of Christ across denominations, across ethnicities, across the city, around the world. This is a big ask, but it's the first thing he prays for, that we would be one. How in the world is that going to happen? What can be powerful enough to take a diverse group of dysfunctional people like us and make us one? Well, that's the second thing he prays for, that we would be in him and that he would be in us. Look at verse 21. May they also be in us. Now, this is language Jesus has used before at this table. Maybe you remember back in chapter 15, Jesus talked about the vine and the branches. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will bear much fruit. It's the language he used back in chapter 14 when he talks about the Holy Spirit who he says, he lives with you and will be in you. Remember what he said to Peter back in chapter 13 after the foot washing. Unless I wash you, Peter, you do not belong to me. Jesus is not interested in a superficial, non-committal, one-day-a-week kind of relationship with us. What he's interested in is an is a all-in, full-on, whole-life, 24-7 friendship, relationship with us as we make our way through the day. Now, as it turns out, there's going to be all kinds of aspects to that. Yeah, there's going to be a, a hunger to know and to do God's Word. There's going to be a, a, a yearning to be holy. And, and when Jesus prays for us to be holy, He's not praying for us to be weird. He's not praying for us to be religious. He's praying that we might be distinctive, that we might be whole people, that we would reflect His image in a unique way that only we can. So all these things He's going to pray for. But the fundamental thing is that we would be in Him, growing in Him, becoming like Him. And so the first two things Jesus prays for is that, for His disciples, is that they would be one and that they would be with Him. That all sounds wonderful. But if I were the disciples, I'd be asking a question right about now. Jesus, if what you want most of all is for us to be together and for us to be with you, then why don't you just take us with you right now? Why are you leaving us here behind in this frightening world? And we might ask the same question. If this is God's will, that His people be one and that we be with Him, why not just take us all to heaven right now? Well, that leads to the third thing Jesus prays for, is that we would fulfill our mission in the world. Verse 21. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. And skipping down a little bit, he says it again. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, at the time Jesus prayed this prayer, there were only a, a hundred or so full-fledged followers of his. And Jesus did love them, and he wanted them to be together and to be with him. But you know what? He loved the whole world, too. Remember, the most famous verse in the Bible is in this very same Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. 
that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not die but have eternal life. Yes, Jesus loved the 11 around the table, but, but he loves the whole world. He, he wants everyone to come into that circle of love. He wants everyone to become their true and best self in relationship with him. He wants everyone to know their unique purpose in this world. And so he leaves his people behind to tell the world, to show the world how very much he loves them and how good and beautiful life can be when we live it with him. I mean, that's our mission, folks, to tell the world, to show the world how very much God loves them and how good and beautiful life can be when we live it with Him. Now, we all know the world's not always an easy place to be. Things don't always work the way they're supposed to. There's pain and heartache and disappointment and grief. Jesus Himself says in this very conversation, in this world you're going to have trouble. And the world is not always a friendly place for, for followers of Christ. People aren't always interested in hearing about God, even a God who loves them. People aren't always interested in hearing about living life a certain way. There are times you feel like you don't fit in, like you're speaking a different language, like you're living by a different set of values. Jesus said it in this prayer, they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So sometimes it feels, we feel out of place perhaps. But Jesus left us here for the sake of the world to tell people, to show people. It's not us against the world. It's, it's for the world. We're not supposed to be fighting with the world. We're supposed to be loving the world. As you sent me into the world, he says, I have sent you into the world. And so when Jesus prays for us, he's not just praying that we would be one happy family and that we'd all be growing in our faith. He's praying that we would get out of our churches and our comfort zones and get out into the schools and the neighborhoods and the marketplace and show people about a God who loves them and how good and beautiful life can be with Him. So there you have it. That's what Jesus prayed for us, that we'd be one, that we'd be in Him for the sake of the world. And that's, that's really our central idea for this prayer. At the table we become one in Him for the sake of the world. Well, now we have to ask ourselves some questions. Are those the things that we pray for? As we said earlier, when we listen to ourselves pray, when we pray in a circle in our prayer group or our home Bible study, what are the things that we typically pray for? Well, we pray for our health, everything from colds to cancer. We pray for our families, that they'd be happy and well, the people that we love. We pray for our safety, for traveling mercies, for protection in a world that seems to get scarier all the time. We pray for jobs. We pray for places to live. We pray for spring to come, please. <laughs> Jesus doesn't pray for any of those things. I'm not saying Jesus doesn't care about our health and our safety and our housing. I'm not suggesting Jesus doesn't want us to be happy and well in this life. But it's just not the first thing he prayed for. The first things on his list are that we'd be one in him for the sake of the world. And I'm not suggesting we shouldn't pray for those other things. Jesus himself teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. 
The Apostle Paul says, don't be anxious for anything, pray about everything. So yes, we pray for all those things, but we pray first, best, and most that we would be loving one another, that we'd be growing in our faith in Christ, and that we would be reaching and serving a world in great need. That's our prayer. That's His prayer. Now, if you've been around grace for any length of time at all, these, these phrases should sound a little familiar. They should remind you of three other words that we use to describe what we're all about here at Grace. And we use the words closer, deeper, wider. We sometimes put pictures like this up on the screen, reminding us that we're all about going deeper in our faith, getting closer to one another and the people in our lives, and then reaching wider into the world with the love and grace of God. And we, we don't just use these words, we actually build our whole ministry around these three things. Our teaching journey each year, our programming, our budgeting, it's all built around these three things. If you were here two years ago, remember we spent a whole year talking about going deeper. Our theme that year was en Christo, in Christ. Last year we spent a whole year talking about living on mission. Remember the, the city skyline of Boston up on the wall here reminding us of our mission field? And this year we're all about being all together. It's a community-focused year. And so back in the fall, if you remember, we did a study on the book of Philippians. We called it Come Together. Remember? Boom, 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 boom. All right? Remember that? Come Together. We learned the marks of authentic community. This winter, we're meeting around this table with Jesus, with each other, encouraging folks to be in small groups. We've had 300 new people join groups just for this series. We're meeting five weeks in a row in homes and classrooms all across, all across the city. I've heard about a couple of groups that actually have stopped meeting in their living room and they actually sit at the table, the kitchen table, the dining room table, and they find themselves literally leaning into the conversation and the relationships, very much the way the 12 would have been doing that night. But we have another altogether opportunity coming later on this spring that I'm really excited about and that we're announcing for the first time today. On Sunday, May 17th, we are going to meet as one church on one Sunday, in one service, in one location. Now, last time we did this was like 10 years ago as we kind of finished up our 40 Days of Purpose campaign. And that time we met up at the Lowell Auditorium. If you remember, if you were there, and we filled just about every one of those 3,100 seats. It was a great day for those of us who were there. Well, a lot's happened in 10 years, and especially in the past few years. Lots of new folks have come. We're spread out across four campuses now. And so it seemed to us that in this all-together year, it's time once again for the, the whole church to come together, one church, one service, one Sunday. Now, fortunately, we have outgrown the Lowell Auditorium. We won't fit there anymore. And so we found another location, again in Lowell, the Songus Center Arena. And yes, the grass will be green on May 17th, okay? Now, we're going to have lots more seats, okay? So we want everyone who is in any way associated with grace to be with us on that Sunday, May 17th, and bring some folks with you as well. Now, I just happened to be at the Song of Center this past Friday night for a Chris Tomlin concert, and it was, yeah, it was a great night. 
It was really a great concert, great night, but I, I'm going to tell you, the whole night, all I kept thinking about was how cool is it going to be to have the whole Grace Chapel family in this space <laughs> worshiping and celebrating together. Now, I can't promise you smoke machines and light cannons, but <laughs> we will try to make it a very, very great day. So mark your calendar, more to come, Sunday, May 17th. So all this to say very simply, we take very seriously this prayer of Jesus, that we would be one in Christ for the sake of the world, that we would be coming, growing closer to each other, going deeper in our faith, and reaching wider into the world. And so it's a good idea for us to, to build our teaching journey around these themes, to draft our budget and our calendar and program around these things. But the most important thing we can do is to pray for these three things. To put them at the top of our list when we pray for ourselves, for the ones we love, for our small group, for our church. To pray for them as intentionally and as passionately as Jesus did. Now, I need to tell you, I have been so encouraged by people's responsiveness to last Sunday's message. Last Sunday, we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit and about asking for more of God's Spirit to be turned loose in our lives and in our church and, and in lobby conversations and emails and the parking lot and staff discussions and small groups. I've been hearing it all week that people are excited about this possibility of what God might do. Last Monday evening, uh, Bill Burke and I were down at the Watertown campus and we were doing some leadership development on Monday night working with the campus leadership team. So there were about 15 or 20 of us there that night, kind of seated in about three tables, and, and we did some, some leadership development. Now, the thing went kind of long. Actually, I went kind of long. So it's past 8.30 now on a work night, a school night, and uh, I finally call on Pastor Robert to come up and uh, close out the evening with prayer. Well, instead of just closing the evening with a perfunctory prayer, Pastor Robert says, you know, we talked yesterday about the Holy Spirit, about asking God to do something new and more in us. So why don't we spend some time praying into that theme right now together? Now, I have to confess, I was tired. <laughs> it had been a long couple of days, and, and I was pretty eager to get home. And, and, and we were all tired. It was, it was a long day for all of us. But I want to tell you, I was so humbled and encouraged by the intensity and the spirit with which people entered into prayer that night. It wasn't just one or two prayers. I mean, just about everybody prayed. Uh, not just once. Some prayed two or three times around the room. We took our time. And you know what? No one prayed for, for the weather or, or safety. No one prayed for any of those things. What we prayed for was for the spirit to fall. What we prayed for is that we would have a greater hunger for God's Word. What we prayed for is that our, our children, our students, would have a great heart for God and come to know Him early in life. What we prayed for is that these empty seats would be filled with seekers and worshipers as we come to this exciting season of the year. I'm telling you, I was, I was humbled and rebuked by the intensity with which people prayed that night. Now we were done, I gathered up my things and kind of hustled out the door. As I came down the front steps, I bumped into a couple of the guys who were leaving just ahead of me, and they were talking at the bottom of the steps. But they weren't talking about the weather 
or March Madness or how late the meeting went. You know what they were talking about? Prayer. They said, we need to do more of that. And I don't think they were talking about my teaching. <laughs> they said, we need to pray first next time. Then we went on to talk about what we sensed God doing in the life of our church. And we looked up and down Main Street there in Watertown and all the houses and neighborhoods nearby. And we began to imagine what would it be like to see folks from these neighborhoods streaming into church on Sunday, to hear about God's love, to find their place in, in His plan and, and, and in the world. And as we finished up this little conversation, one of the guys threw his arms around me and said, I love you. Now this is three guys. It's 9.15 on a Monday night. It's freezing cold on a sidewalk in Watertown. And I got to tell you that the three of us are about as different in background and temperament as three guys can be. There's no reason we should even be friends with each other, let alone talking to each other and hugging each other. But there we were on the sidewalk late at night, talking and dreaming and praying together about what God might do. You know what I think? I think Jesus' prayer was being answered that night. The prayer he prayed a couple thousand years ago, that guys like us would come to believe in this message, that we would love each other, that we'd be eager to grow in our faith, and that we would have a heart for people who were still far from God. And you know what? Jesus is still praying that prayer, and he's asking us to pray it with him, that, that we, that Grace Chapel, would be one in him for the sake of Watertown and Wilmington and Lexington and East Lexington and all the towns around He's praying that the churches of greater Boston would be one in him for the sake of our city. He's praying that the global church, north, south, east, west, would be one in him for the sake of a great, needy, desperate world. When Jesus said, ask anything in my name and I will do it, he wasn't talking about the weather. He was talking about these kinds of things. So let's you and I, when we bow our heads to pray, whether we're at home or here in church or in our small group, let's pray first, best, and most that we would be one in Christ for the sake of the world. Let's pray. Lord, hear our hearts this morning, our joy, our anticipation, our readiness for you to do something new and good and powerful. We, we believe that you're a real God, that you're at work in the world, that you're alive in our hearts, and that you want to be in the live, alive in the hearts of many, many people. So Lord, thanks for all you have done in the life of this church, are doing, but we believe there's even greater things yet to come, not just for us and for our church, but for your church across the city, around the world. For all, for all people everywhere to come to know your love, to be part of your worldwide family, to be part of the great work you're doing in changing this world. So show us the way. Be real to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.